You are listening to the Dark Fantastic Podcast. Welcome to this new episode of the Dark Fantastic Podcast. This is the first pocket edition of the podcast, which is a mini episode. But I have a lot of good things lined up for you in this shorter running time. And we'll begin right after this. Summer, 1990. A teenage boy in trouble. An evil that only comes out at night. Only a straight-to-VHS movie can save him. From A. Kale, the author of, Beware the Night. Bad Dreams. A thrilling horror novel, now available on Amazon. Rated PG-13, for some thematic elements and mild violence. I'd like to talk a little bit about The Maltese Falcon. Uh, most people know this movie um, or this story from the 1941 version uh, which was directed by John Huston and starred Humphrey Bogart as Sam Spade. But a lot of people don't know that the novel The Maltese Falcon uh, written by Dashiell Hammett was actually adapted two other times also by uh, Warner Brothers, but by different directors and different writers. The first version of uh, The Maltese Falcon was actually uh, released in 1931 and was directed by Roy Del Ruth, and it starred uh, Ricardo Cortez as Sam Spade, the character which was then immortalized by Bogart. But this first cinematic version of the novel is actually lots of fun and it's very compelling. And I actually prefer uh, the portrayal of Cortez to the, the performance of Bogart as Sam Spade. Because unlike Humphrey Bogart's snarling portrayal of Spade, Cortez is under the tough guy persona, under that facade, uh, he's all smiles and charm, and his performance and his take on Spade is actually much more charming than Bogart's take, and his performance turns this version, the 1931 version, which is a very standard and dated mystery film it turns it into actually a very fun entertaining film and very memorable due to his performance and also because the script for this version does all the heavy lifting for all adaptations to follow and John Huston's famous adaptation the 1941 version borrows heavily from the structure of this version and with the exception of some of the characterization of the side characters and a different ending, the main difference between the 1931 version and the 1941 version is basically the tone of, of the movie. Uh, 
uh, led by the performance of Cortez as Sam Spade, which is a very light-hearted portrayal, this version is less morally complex and, as I mentioned, under uh, Roy Del Ruth's uh, direction, it's technically much less polished than the 1941 version. But, as I mentioned uh, earlier, I think that Ricardo Cortez's portrayal of the detective is actually the, the best portrayal out of all three versions. The next version to, uh, to come out was Satan Meta Lady, uh, which came out in 1936. And thanks to an energetic script and great support from a young Betty Davis as the femme fatale, and great direction by cinematic wizard William Dietrell. This adaptation of the novel is just a blast. It's very fast-paced, and it's probably, which is, again, I know is going to be a bit controversial, it is actually the most entertaining out of the three versions, because Dietrell's direction and... Uh, the way the characters are handled here, especially Warren William uh, as Ted Shane, which is a renamed version of Sam Spade. William plays Shane or Spade as a sleazy con artist and he just he just blasts through the movie with a lot of charm and his character, although very, you know, sleazy and... He's not really a knight in shining armor uh, like the Bogart version, although the Bogart version wasn't really that, you know, lily white. Uh, but here, just, just the, 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 the detective character, <laughs> he has no scruples almost whatsoever, which of course sets a completely different tone to the whole movie than all the other versions. But it's such a, a fun movie because it's basically all involved, although they give it a lot of energy and Betty Davis is terrific. I think her performance and her portrayal of the femme fatale character is again the best uh, out of all three versions. And the direction here is just... It's just great, although it's not, maybe the cinematography is not as polished as in the John Huston version, although both versions are shot by Arthur Edison. Uh, Dietrell's direction is just so fast-paced, so kinetic, so, uh, you know, snappy, and he was known for this kind of, uh, of of style, you know, this quick editing, uh, somewhat quick, of course, because it's, relatively speaking, compared to other movies that came out a, a, at that time, now, of course, his style is slow compared to the very, very, very fast-paced, quick MTV style editing that, that, that we see in movies or in some, a lot of movies nowadays, but Relatively speaking, his style is fast, uh, his editing style, his shooting style, 
the way he blocks the scenes, uh, the way he stages everything, uh, it's just so snappy, so quick, which is something, arguably, that uh, director John Huston struggles with in his version. But Satan Metal Lady is just a very original take on the Maltese Falcon story, and it is one that is really worth rediscovering. It's just lots of fun. The final version uh, I'm going to talk about, which is the most famous version, is the 1941 version of the Maltese Falcon, directed by John Huston, who also adapted uh, the novel, and he wrote the screenplay, and it stars Bogart as Sam Spade and Sidney Greenstreet as the fat man and uh, Peter Lorre as Cairo. And this version has been analyzed and just praised to death, so there is little point in lingering over its merits. What is fascinating to note, though, is how stagey how stagey and confusing this version is, something which all adaptations of the novel struggle with, which begs the question, why is Dashiell Hammett's novel so attractive to filmmakers? Uh, its plot is just overly complex, and its settings are limited, and almost all of its characters are unsympathetic, and these aspects of the novel just prove almost unsurmountable to all filmmakers who tackle this book. And surprisingly enough, although the John Huston version is considered the classic version and the best version and the most famous version, mainly because the cinematography is so polished and the screenplay is so well structured, and the casting is so inventive, especially the villains. Despite all these factors, I think that Houston, out of all the other filmmakers, he's the one to struggle the most with the confines of the setting and the limitations of the novel, because his version, although visually polished and it's the best written, you can feel it w w while you're watching the movie that he's struggling with the stagey quality of, of the story. There are long stretches of dialogue and he keeps moving the camera and, and cutting this way and that to make things interesting, but he struggles with it. And I think the rhythm and the pacing of this version suffers the most from this stagey quality. And although Bogart's version uh, or take on, on the Spade character is interesting, I always found it too humorless for its own good. And I always found Mary Astor's performance very, I don't know how to put it, it's not very good, to be honest. Uh, Betty Davis did uh, that role um, and handled it 
much much better and you know in a very charismatic playful way uh, Esther's performance is just I never understood why it was so praised because uh, it's not one of her best and it's very theatrical uh, very over the top in my opinion but I think the secret ingredient of the 1941 version of the Maltese Falcon is the villains uh, as I mentioned Sidney Greenstreet as the fat man and Peter Lorre as Cairo just steal the show and other than that I think that also Houston writes the best uh, ending or climax out of all three versions the speech that Bogart uh, or Spade gives in the end to Mary Astor's character is just so well written and it has an, um, an emotional complexity and it packs a punch that is lacking from the other two versions although the 1931 version uh, with Cortez has a good ending also very uh, very entertaining and very satisfying but this version, the 1941 version the ending of this version is just it's very dramatic and it, it packs a punch and it's it's somewhat haunting. Maybe, I don't know if it's more or less cynical than the other two versions, but it, it's just, it's more haunting, it's more memorable. And I think that's what makes this version so popular, in my opinion. I recently saw the card counter uh, directed and written by Paul Schrader. He's one of my favorite filmmakers and he's always interesting. He always writes interesting characters, fascinating characters, and there is always this morally ambiguous and spiritually captivating side to to his movies and I I loved his last movie First Reformed uh, it was just a very powerful movie the ending was just uh, was just so so powerful and uh, very thought-provoking so I was really looking forward to his la latest movie uh, The Card Counter starring uh, Oscar Isaacs and uh, Ty Sheridan. And I went into it maybe with... Maybe my expectations were just too high. But just from the get-go, there was something off with this movie. And as any fan of Paul Schrader knows, he is a, a brilliant filmmaker when he wants to be, when he's you know, on, and when he uh, sets his mind to it, movies like American Gigolo, Forever Mind, and First Reformed, which I just mentioned, are just great movies, and he wrote a lot of good movies, and great movies for other filmmakers, uh, especially Martin Scorsese. But when Schrader loses control 
of his talent and when he basically loses control of his emotions and his you know emotional side and uh, the emotional side to his stories and when the politics just overwhelm his stories uh, like in the card counter the movies just basically implode which is the same thing I got from one of his uh, later movies Dog Eat Dog which was also a very disappointing movie and uh, to a large extent very very badly made so he Schrader can be uneven in his direction but the problem with the card counter is that it has such a good cast and it looks so good and the premise and the setup is such so promising it's such a promising uh, setup I mean and it's so promising and so intriguing that as as it goes along and it goes nowhere and the political element or the political side which is actually he, he makes a very uh, valid political argument and what he talks about which I won't get into here is actually something that's very very important and uh, it's worth delving deeper into uh, it's one of the of, of the main issues of, of our times in terms of the folly of government and the folly uh, of the military uh, in general the, just the, the military you know way of thinking in, in modern times so what he's saying is important and what he's saying is worth saying but just the way he handles it uh, is so didactic and it's just so preachy and the story isn't just uh, the story just isn't interesting the characters are, aren't interesting and you you get the feeling that he made the movie just to you know because he was so passionate about the 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 topic uh he just wanted to make a movie and basically scream at people you know uh regarding this this issue but as a movie as a story as a drama it's just one of his most uneven and i felt it, it just went nowhere and the arc of the main character w wasn't wasn't that interesting and was very bumpy and the ending was just very poor um, so it was very disappointing to me watching the card counter I was really looking forward to it but I'm just mentioning it because I want people who don't know about the work of Paul Schrader as a writer and especially as a director to not be put off by that movie if that's your first Paul Schrader movie don't get, don't get the wrong idea about Paul Schrader he's he's brilliant and he has made a lot of other good movies uh, so just dismiss that one and delve deep into his filmography and discover the art of Paul Schrader
I'd like to end this episode with a clip from a song called The Everlasting Gobstopper, which is uh, a song by The Velt, one of my favorite bands, and it's a criminally uh, underrated band, uh, in my opinion. And uh, this uh, version of the song is taken from the live performance uh, part of the Oak City Sessions uh, and, the, and their YouTube channel has the full performance uh, by the Velt and has many other great live performances. So check out the, the channel and I'll include the link to the channel uh, in the episode's description. So uh, I just wanted to thank you uh, as we come to the end of this episode to listening to this pocket uh, edition of the Dark Fantastic podcast. And uh, I hope you join me again next time. been listening to the dark fantastic podcast